Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Hi, Shaleen. My name's Nicole, and I have a question for you about making commitments. And like you said, then immediately thinking, God, I wish I didn't make that commitment. What do you suggest you do if you say yes to making a commitment that's long term? So you've promised something to somebody that is going to require a great deal of your time for the next six to seven months. Do you think it's best to be honest with them and say, I've actually had some time to think about it and I can't do it anymore? Or do you think you should honor the commitments that you made? Thank you. Oh, Nicole, this is a tough one. Because the promises that we make, the commitments that we make, they say a lot about who we are. And so whether we make a promise to someone or commit to doing something as simple as, you know, trying to eat better or as complex as, you know, caring for somebody or going out of our way to do something every single week that takes time away from our own families, all of those commitments, they're promises. And promises have a tremendous amount of power. Imagine if the people that you knew, every single thing that they said they would do, they actually followed through and did it. What an incredible transforming experience that would be. But you also have to remember that the commitments that we make and the promises that we make, they aren't set in stone. So yes, we need to honor, I believe, we need to be good for it. We need to honor our commitments. We need to honor the promises that we make because that speaks volumes about our own selflessness. However, you have to evaluate the pros and cons of keeping that commitment. And the way that we do that is by looking at and prioritizing significance of the people involved, the people that it impacts. And here's an example. While my cousin Ashley, who lives here in Southern California, lived here in Southern California, her husband was deployed And while he was deployed, she has three tiny, young, adorable girls. Those are my little cousins. And I promised her that every Sunday I would come over and give her relief. And actually, it was really enjoyable for me too, but I got to hang out with the girls and we play fun games and dress up and do bath time and arts and crafts. It was just a blast. I freaking loved it. And that was a commitment that I made to her and to the girls and to her husband, to their family. And they are significant. They are significant people to me. But now more significant is my husband. If, for example, he were to fall ill or he needed me on Sundays and there was no way around it, then he would take priority and significance and I would have had to have reevaluated that promise. And in fact, kind of near the end of his deployment, that's when our father-in-law moved in. And there were a couple of Sundays where I explained to Ashley, and of course she completely understood, that I need to be here to help Bob get assimilated, you know, just get accustomed to living here. And it was new and, you know, a lot was up in the air. And she completely understood. And I did that because, frankly, I had to look at the significance of the impact it would have on keeping that promise on that Sunday when it would impact both myself, my husband, and my father-in-law. And that took significance for those couple of weeks 
over Ashley and her girls. And it's hard to say that, but it's just true. So I think the most important way to evaluate any commitment that you've made, whether long-term, short-term, easy, or difficult, is to ask yourself, how does maintaining this commitment impact the people of significance in my life? And you know this to be true. People have an order of significance. Not all people are the same. Our kids, yeah, we might have them all on the same level, but everybody else, there's an order to it. And you have to look at those things and make decisions, not based on what will people think of me? Will they think less of me? But what is the right thing to do for the right people? Having said that, if the only person it impacts is you and your mental health and you're feeling guilty about that, you have to consider how does your mental health impact the people of significance in your life? So it's not just about like, is this convenient for me or inconvenient for me? What toll does it take on you? And how will that have an impact on other people's lives? Hi, Shaleen. I would love to know how to have a difficult conversation with a coworker. So I am like a people-pleasing person who hates confrontation, which I realize is a bad thing, and I'm learning this now. But knowing that, I work with someone who is kind of like a master manipulator, toxic vampire, someone who thrives off of conflict, somebody who gets excited when they stir the pot and other people get agitated. So whenever I do try my best to have these open conversations, they typically get totally deflected. And then I find myself kind of nodding and agreeing to things that I don't even understand how the conversation got twisted. So would love your thoughts on how to talk to someone like that. Love you so much. Bye. Tricky. Here's the quick and dirty answer you're not going to change this person. And the way you have a conversation with them is to not have conversations with them. Now, I know that's probably something you can't avoid entirely at work. But when you do have conversations with them, I love that you've already caught the fact that you're nodding in agreement, maybe. And maybe what you're trying to explain, I'd love to be able to ask you more questions. But it sounded to me like what you're struggling with is it feels like you're in agreement or you're affirming their drama, you're affirming their master manipulation, and it doesn't feel good. And you mentioned that you're a people pleaser. So what I'm assuming, the reason why you said that is because you're not speaking up, you're not disagreeing with this person, and it feels like maybe you're going along with it, or maybe they're just an energy vampire. Either way, when it comes to our work environment, it's tricky. And here's my recommendation. Get along but have boundaries in place. So we make ourselves receptive to these types of people when we do nod and agree, when we do give them a platform where they're like, oh, someone's listening, someone's paying attention, I have somebody's interest, and they're agreeing. Even if you're not verbally agreeing, by sitting, leaning in, and nodding, and listening, and just even being polite, you're giving them that almost affirmation And so people who are negative, people who are master manipulators, they get something from it. Primarily, people's interest. They want to hold people's interest. They want to control the narrative. So the best way to deal with this and also, you know, get along in the workplace, I think, is to not have a confrontation with her or even a conversation about this unless she calls you or he calls you out. And I think you said it was a she. 
I mean, here's what I mean by that. The next time you sit down and she launches into one of these conversations or dialogues, notice your own body language. And I want you to intentionally appear uninterested. And if she questions you or asks, are you paying attention or do you agree, et cetera, that's where you establish a boundary. And that's where it's appropriate for you to say, I appreciate your perspective. I just don't see it that way. Or I appreciate your perspective. I just prefer not to get involved. Every one of us has somebody who we know if we want to talk to them about a certain topic, they're just not going to be receptive, whether it's gossip or anything else. There are just certain topics that you're like, I don't talk to this friend about that because they're not receptive. I don't talk to this person about that because they just don't seem interested. And then we stop going to them. In other words, we teach people how to treat us. You didn't share with me that this is somebody who's a a close friend or a family member or someone who you expect to have in your life for a long time. This is somebody who you're just trying to tolerate and get along and have a peaceful workplace. And I think the best way to do that is to be less receptive to conversations with her. Hi, Shalene. My name is Monica and I am 26 years old. I'm from Dallas, Texas. Basically, my boyfriend of seven years is going to propose this year. Yay, finally. (laughs) And he and my stepdad don't get along very well. They've had an altercation where things like got semi-physical, not too physical. My mom and I had fought about it and like they both were in the wrong. And I'm just concerned because my boyfriend says he doesn't want him at the wedding at all. But I know that my mom won't be okay with that. And so I want to respect my, you know, boyfriend slash, you know, future husband's wishes. But I also want to start creating those boundaries. I'm not very fond of my stepdad. He has created a lot of drama for my mom. And I had my own issues with him. I've just chosen to be amicable and whatever. Anytime we're around him, I don't know if... I need to talk to just my mom about what's going on or have both of them and sit them both down and explain what's going on. But it's basically a whole macho man versus man. It's so, so stupid. But any advice you give is the best. Love you. Mean it. Bye. Ooh, this one is juicy and complicated. Thank you for this message. All right, Monica, you got a tough one on your hands. Here's how I would handle it personally. I want to look at big picture. Your wedding is one day. It's one day. No one's looking at him, meaning by him, I mean stepdad. All eyes are really on you and a little bit on your fiance, but mainly they're on the bride. It's about the two of you. It is your day. My question to your fiance would be this. Who is the bigger person here? Of these two individuals, these two men, which of these two is more rational, is more confident, and is more level-headed? And if it were me, I would ask my fiance to put his ill feelings about this person aside for the day to just ignore him. I don't think you need to make him a special part of the day. He certainly doesn't need to walk you down the aisle. I think that would be disrespectful. But I do think it is critically important that you express to your mother and your stepfather, that they are welcome and you're excited to have them both there. But please know 
if there's any type of, and you fill in the blank because you know what you can expect. I don't know if he's a drinker or if he's loud or if he's confrontational or if you expect any of those things to happen at your wedding or at your reception. If in any way, shape, or form you anticipate some of those things happening, if there's even a remote possibility of it, you have to express to them just to be clear, we love you guys, we want you there. However, if this or this were to happen, please expect this to be the consequence. I'll ask you both to leave. And he may, just because you've established boundaries, say, I don't want to be there. And then it's his decision. My hunch is he probably will say that. But your husband holds all the cards, your future husband, I should say, and all the power by saying to him, you're not that big of a deal to me. I don't care if you're there or not. It's no sweat off my back. You make it a really big thing and you're telling your stepfather, his future stepfather-in-law, that he has that much power. And I don't think you want to do that. Ultimately, it's your mom's relationship with her husband. And we have to respect the fact that once we're married, that married partner becomes our priority. Your fiance is your priority. So ultimately, if he says to you, I can't have him there, it's disrespectful to me, I can't be the bigger person, I can't do this, then he's telling you, I can't respect that this is your mom's relationship. I think if he were to say that, he's saying he doesn't respect that you need to maintain or would like to maintain a relationship with your mom. And that's ultimately what you're doing. By ignoring your stepfather, what you're saying is, I want to respect my relationship with my mom. She's the future grandmother of our kids, and I want her in our lives. Now, if you had told me that your mom is toxic or she's got a lot of things that you necessarily wouldn't want around your future grandkids or she's harmful to your relationship, well, that's a different story. But it sounds to me like it's stepdad who's the issue. And I just say, ignore him. He's not going to change. He's not going to ruin your day unless you give him permission to do so. And you're not going to do that. When there's a power struggle, what we're often doing by staying engaged in that power struggle is telling the other person that they still have power over us. When we disengage, we're saying to them, I win, you lose, you don't have power over me. I don't care. That's a pretty powerful place to be. And remember, the person who's least emotional is the person who has the most power. Hi, Shalene. My name is Jackie. I think one difficult conversation that I want to spark up is with my husband about how to spend more time with us as a family and giving us undivided attention. There's a lot going on, but basically I just want more undivided attention either with me or my kids or as a family instead of being on the phone, friends, work. I feel like sometimes we're pushed at the, you know, we're not number one, we might be number four or five on the list to him. So that's something that I wanted to spark up in a conversation with him. Hope uh, you can help. Jackie, thank you for your question. A difficult one, right? Because how do you ask for more attention without making it feel like he's done something wrong, like he's not being a good father or he's not attentive enough? He's not enough as a husband. And the way that we do that is by being very careful not to be accusational, not to point fingers, not to make him feel as though he's done something wrong. That's first and foremost, because that won't work. It'll make him defensive. It'll make him this marriage and the children feel like an obligation. Of course, it is an obligation, 
but you want to feel like something that he looks forward to and wants to spend more time with you and with the kids. So we do things because they're rewarding. That's why we do everything. We eat because it's rewarding. We cry because there's a reward in it. All of our behaviors, all of our actions are centered around what do I get out of it? So we've got to figure out, and I'm asking you to think about what does he get out of spending time on work, time with friends? I don't know what that is. Maybe it's a distraction. Maybe it's fun. It's light. It makes him feel like a million bucks. It makes him feel important. It makes him feel like he's doing all the right things. It's hard to say, but he does get something out of doing those other activities that he's not getting when he spends time with you or the family. Now, I don't want you to beat yourself up over that, but I want you to think about that and ask yourself what it is you can do. And I think you should start with one area first. So I don't think you should hit him with, I need more of your time and attention. That just makes you sound needy. It makes it sound like he's supposed to be something for you, that he's supposed to fix you. He's supposed to make you feel a certain way. Rather, you want to approach this by asking yourself, what can I do to create the right environment where he wants to spend more time with me? And I think you start first with you, and then we move to the kids later, right? But we've got to pick one at a time, because if you're like, listen, you're failing, not that you're saying this, but he might hear you're failing as a father and you're failing as a husband. And we don't want him to feel those things, because when we feel those things, we run away from those things. Nobody wants to be told, you suck at this thing. So I'm going to share with you what it is I think you need to say to him. But before you have this conversation with him, I'm going to ask you to do some self-reflection and ask yourself, and I know this is hard to do, but I want you to ask yourself, like, what aren't you giving him when he is spending time with you? Are you being affectionate? Are you being loving? Are you flirting with him? Are you stroking his ego? Are you making him feel like the center of your universe? Are you taking an interest in his work and in his friends? Are you making him feel adored and appreciated? Or does he feel like he's got to be doing all these different things for you? Because we're going to get back that which we put out. So if you're putting out attention and affection and love and adoration and interest in him, girlfriend, I'm telling you, you'll start getting that back from him. But if what you're putting out to him is like, I need you to put your phone down. I need you to pay attention to me. What you're telling him is, I need you to make me your job. And I'm not suggesting you are doing that. I'm just speaking generally now to the audience. A lot of people may be in a similar situation. So the first thing to do is to look at yourself and ask yourself, what behaviors can you change? What things can you do differently so that there's more of a reward, that he's more drawn to spending time with you? But please know, your concern is way more common than you might know. In fact, this week when I polled my audience, how many of you feel as though there's this unexplained distance between you and your significant other, 76% of my audience said that this is a major struggle. So why does this happen? Well, I want to dig into it further because, yes, I want you to start by looking at yourself. We always need to do that. We always have to start with, okay, what can I do differently? What am I doing that might be pushing someone away? But also, there are any number of reasons that people pull away from us. Oftentimes, it relates to their own past, their own childhood, or things that they may be going through. It might be that there's an addiction happening or that they are getting attention from somebody else. It might be that the marriage has changed in some way or that they can feel what you might be experiencing is his own subconscious intentions to 
sabotage the relationship. There's so many reasons why this might happen. And it's happened in my own relationship. And because this is such a common occurrence in relationships, and it's really easy to point the finger at ourselves and blame ourselves or to think that there's something wrong with us or to assume that our partner has fallen out of love with us when there might be a whole list of other reasons why this is going on. I want to devote an entire episode to this topic coming next week. Today's show is sponsored by Organifi. Organifi is a company I've been talking about for a while, y'all. If you looked in my pantry right now, it looks like a little convenience store because I have all of my little single-serve packets of Organifi. Thank you, Organifi, for creating these. It makes it so easy to quickly mix my favorite delicious nutrients into a water bottle. So I carry three water bottles a day, and in at least two of my water bottles, I mix a little packet of Organifi Pure and a packet of Organifi Immunity. Those two things, I swear to you, are the reasons why I went mm, almost two years without having a cold. Nothing. No illness whatsoever. In fact, I'm not blaming Organifi, but when they ran out of Organifi Immunity, like they were low on it for whatever reasons, like backordered or whatever, and I couldn't get my immunity in time, and that's the week that I got a cold. I don't know, but I swear by Organifi Immunity because I'm positive the antiviral and antifungal and antibacterial support in this drink is the reason why I never got sick. I never got COVID. It's got 500% of your daily vitamin C needs. It's also got zinc and vitamin D3. And we know about the correlations between vitamin D and illnesses, including COVID. I also take Organifi Pure for my brain health. Now they've got tons of different products, whether it's greens or fiber or protein or collagen. Organifi is the company that I highly recommend because of the quality of their ingredients. You, as a listener of the show, get 20% off all products by going to Organifi.com forward slash Shaleen. I'm going to spell it because it's kind of funky. O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash Shaleen. Enter the code Shaleen for 20% off all products. My favorites in order of preference include Organifi Pure, Organifi Immunity, then I would say Organifi Harmony, but their green juice and their red juice are also really good. But anyways, those are my favorites. You will not be disappointed. And I want to thank you for visiting them because when you do, that is how you show support for the show. Hi, Shaleen. What I'm trying to have a conversation about is what my mom wants to do in the future as she gets older. She has a husband who has dementia that, as you very well know, is not something that necessarily gets better. It is something that just advances. And and she's had some health problems. And in trying to talk to her about this, I get responses like, well, we'll just play it by ear. Or in the cases where she's been in the hospital, she's just said, well, you kids can figure it out. And that <laughs> doesn't feel appropriate to me because I think she deserves to, to live her own life and I'm here to assist her, but I'm certainly not here to manage her entire life because she is capable of making decisions. I think she's just afraid because it's all very overwhelming, as you know, of course. And I'm trying to find ways to very lovingly have that conversation, start that conversation. I have a feeling it's going to be a series of conversations. So I can get an idea of 
what she would like to do as she gets older while she's in a position to make those decisions and really think about it. And I'm having a very hard time figuring out how to, I've tried to start that combo in a few different ways and they don't seem to be working. So I'm just going to keep trying until I hit it something that works. But since you have so much experience in this area, I would love to hear your advice. Well, again, I want to say this is really normal. While 90% of Americans say that they want to talk to their parents or their relatives about end of life, you know, logistics, like what do you want to do? Only 27% of us have actually done it, according to a survey by the Conversation Project. The situation with Alzheimer's has forced the issue on our families. I've had this discussion with my parents, and I don't have a problem with direct conversations. And my parents are great communicators. Brett's mom, we've been able to have this conversation with her. Little did we know that she had had these conversations with her husband while he was still lucid. She recently shared those discussions with us. And that was really important to know. And because we didn't learn that until recently, it has kind of impacted the way I view the care that we're providing for him. We've also, because of our own situation, had very open and frank conversations with our children, even though we're, you know, wait, Brett is 15. I think he's 50. I don't know. I think he's 51. I think I'm 52. I have no idea because I identify as 32. And that's my prerogative. I identify as 32. So therefore, in my mind, I am 32. But chronologically speaking, regardless of our age, our loved ones should know what our wishes are. Should we end up incapacitated or on a ventilator? In December of last year, One of my very best friends on the whole planet, Mindy Lawhorn. What's up, Mindy? Her husband died rather unexpectedly of cancer, Lee. Lee is like the coolest, most amazing man in the world. They were the most remarkable couple. Now, when they got married, she knew he had cancer, a form of blood cancer, but they both always believed that they'd be able to manage it. You know, they could manage the cancer and that it would likely shorten his life expectancy, but nobody expected him to pass away when he did. It was shocking and it was devastating. And I happened to be able to stay there with Mindy after his passing and through the funeral. So I was there during the process of her meeting with all the people that you have to when there's a death in the family. And I personally witnessed how complicated and confusing and overwhelming and all the decisions that she was forced to make in the shroud of her grief. And so many of those decisions were things that she hadn't considered or they hadn't talked about or she didn't even have that information. And that experience was so profound. It was so hard to witness her having to like basically be pulled from her grief to make these decisions that affected her children's lives, their financial situation, just decisions that like, oh my gosh, like I just felt so bad. And she had to make these decisions. So many things, so many things. And that experience really opened up my eyes. I know I was there with my girlfriend, Jen. Her husband has cancer. Jen has cancer. My girlfriend, Jen Dovo. And by the way, that's a great podcast. P.S. That is a freaking awesome podcast. If any of you know anyone with cancer or you've experienced cancer or you have a recent cancer diagnosis or a friend who's had a recent cancer diagnosis, they have a podcast called Not Today Cancer. It is so good. 
He has brain cancer. She has breast cancer. But it is so funny and so uplifting and so useful and relevant. I mean, I don't have cancer and I listen to it every single week. It's so good. But anyways, okay, back to that situation. So Jen and I were there and Jen and I were driving back and forth between Mindy's house and our hotel. And I asked her, and it was kind of an uncomfortable conversation. I said, you know, you were there while we were doing some of this. Have you had these conversations with Darren? And she's like, no. And I said, I haven't had these conversations with Brett and I haven't had these conversations with my parents. Like it was such an eye-opening experience that I realized we all need to have these conversations. These are conversations that we have because we care about our loved ones, not because necessarily we have all these special things that we want upon our passing, but all of us care about the people who we're leaving behind. And if you do care about the people who you're leaving behind, you don't want them to have to carry the burden of making difficult decisions while they're in grief. We make the worst decisions when we are emotional. And I can't think of a time when you're more emotional than during the passing or after the passing of a loved one. I mean, it's just a gift that we can give to others to talk about these things while we're alive and lucid. So what we did when we went home is I ordered, and I'm looking at it right now, a planner called the Peace of Mind Planner. And I bought, let's see, one, two, three. I bought five sets of these. And I set a set to my parents. We gave a set to Brett's mom. And we have a set and we gave them to everyone who we care about. What's really cool about these planners is you fill it out yourself. You put your personal information in there, your medical information, key information, people who you want contacted, and all the information that you want included in your arrangements, including obituary information, your dependents, where all of your important documents are, like your passport, your driver's license, birth certificate, marriage certificate, all of your financial information. It's like it's all a handwritten journal, so you can fill it out as you go. Like, for example, with Brett's mom, she didn't want to fill this out, you know? I mean, frankly, it's a lot of work to fill this out. But we gave her an ultimatum and said, like, if you care about us and you don't want us to go through what we've witnessed our loved ones go through, we know that you'll fill this out for us and we'll help you do it. And you might have to do that. You might have to help your parents complete filling out this journal. But this journal, it's going to leave your loved ones with peace of mind. It makes certain that your wishes are followed through on. And more importantly, I think it gives your loved ones one central location to find everything that they need. Because when you're dealing with grief, when you're dealing with the loss of a loved one, even when it's something you knew was coming, you just are never prepared for it. Never. So I highly recommend that you guys buy this planner. Every one of you should have one. I don't care how old you are. You know, Accidents happen. Emergencies happen. I trained this morning with my personal trainer and one of my closest friends, Mia Finnegan. She lost her son when he was 18 years old. 18 years old. He was leaving a party and was attacked by a stranger. And they had to make horrific decisions at the end of his life, resulting in an attack that left him in the hospital for dead. And they had to make horrific painful decisions. Can you even imagine for a moment what it would be like to have to make decisions on your child's life and their organs and how they want to be remembered and all of those things? I don't think it's ever too early 
to start having these conversations. I watched this TikTok the other day of a young man. I'm going to put the link to his TikTok in our show notes. You guys, you need to go check it out. Okay, so it's this young man, and I'm like, what the heck is this? It's this guy, and I'm watching his TikTok, and he is basically a torso. He's a torso and a head and one arm. And I'm like, what is the story? So I go down the rabbit hole. I watch his YouTube video. I'm going to put a link to his YouTube video in the show notes. But this young man suffered a tragic accident while operating a forklift. The forklift ended up on top of him. It's this tragic accident. And he got pinned beneath it, like at about his chest. They transferred him from hospital to hospital, airlifted him, obviously. He had operations that amputated both of his legs and then one of his arms. And they kept just having to amputate and amputate higher and higher and higher. I think he was 18 years old when this accident happened. Young, vivacious, has this beautiful girlfriend, just like the kid that you turn to to get things done. He's that kind of a kid, right? And so he's having all these operations. And eventually the doctors go to his family and they say to them, we won't be able to save him unless we amputate his lower body from the belly button down. This means he loses his ability to have children. This means that his internal organs have to be basically removed outside of his body and then he's going to wear a colostomy bag for the rest of his life. He was going to be rendered just a half a body, a torso. This young man was so much ahead of him. And now the doctors were asking his family to make this decision, to okay the surgery. And if I recall the story correctly, it was his sister who was like, please, can we just bring him out of the sedation? He was in a medically induced coma. Can we bring him out of sedation just enough to explain what's going on and allow him to make this decision? I think his family probably wondered, will he want to live the rest of his life like this? Is this what his wishes would include? What would he want? They brought him to consciousness. They explained the situation. And his response was, are you ready for this? I don't care if I'm a head on a platter. I want to live. He knew he had more to do. He knew he had more life to give. His story is so... Inspirational. I think about a story like once a day. Every time I start to feel sorry for myself, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, why am I complaining that I've got a little knee ache? I've got a knee. I've got a leg. Like, so inspirational. But my point is this. Accidents could happen at any given moment. What do you want the end of your life to look like? What do you want your family members to know should you be incapacitated? All of those questions can be answered in your own words, in this book. And I personally believe it is the conversation that we need to have with every single one of us and especially our aging parents. And I don't care if you have to guilt them. You need to say to them, if you love me and you care about me, we need to have this conversation because it wouldn't be fair for me to have to make any kind of decision about your life or your future or your end of life wishes You don't want me to have that burden. I don't want that burden. I just want to be able to be your daughter or your son. I just want to be able to love and to grieve you. And I don't want to have to be faced with these decisions and to wonder or to guess or to question myself. And so because of that, here's what I need to know. Here's my recommendation. If you have, because we all have them, the kind of parent who's like, I'm not going to fill that out. I'm not going to bother with that. 
then you order it. Order it off of Amazon. It's called the Peace of Mind Planner. I will put a link to that as well in our show notes. And spend some time on the phone with them, whatever it takes. You might have to fill it out for them, but at least then you'll know. Listen, I hope that you've enjoyed this edition of The Shalene Show. I really appreciate you guys. Thank you for leaving your positive reviews. I got a really lousy, mean review this week. And I talked about it on my Instagram stories. So I'm hoping that you guys can counterbalance it by leaving some positive reviews. Some people just wake up on the wrong side of the bed. And this person, I swear, what they wrote about me wasn't even about the podcast. And look at how I'm obsessing about it now. I mean, people write negative reviews. It's not a big deal. But this one like really bugged me. So hey, if you want to fight negative with positive, I would love it if you guys left a review. If in any way, shape or form, this podcast has been of service to you, it means a lot to me. It really, really does. It's huge. And But you know what's even more important than you writing a review? Sharing the podcast. So if there's a part of this episode today that you know somebody needs to hear it, will you just text them the link to the show and tell them the minute mark to listen to, save them some time or, or tell them to listen to the whole thing. I don't know. But I really appreciate when you share the show with your friends and family members and the people you love, because that's how we spread the word. I love you. I mean it. I really do. And I'll talk to you soon. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money on